Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. My name is Morelis. I am a senior in high school. I am 19 years old. I come from the Dominican Republic. I am an undocumented immigrant and a black woman in this country. My name is Glo Choi. I'm 28 years old. I am a Korean undocumented immigrant from the Chicagoland area. My name is Marilu Santana, and I'm a mother of two kids. I come from a very small place in Mexico, a small village. So my dad made the decision to bring me with him. I crossed by desert. I walk eight days with my dad. And I remember one night I was crying. I was like, I want to go back with my mom because this is so hard. Those are the voices of just three of the roughly 11 million undocumented immigrants in the United States today. Each one of them is from a different country, and they all got here in different ways, by plane, by student visa, by multi-day trek. But they all came in search of greater opportunity. One of the biggest policy challenges facing the United States today is what to do with the people like them who are already in our country and the many more who are hoping to enter. How do you design a cohesive immigration policy that meets the needs of people within the United States and all over the world? Hello, I'm CNN political director David Chalian. Welcome to Politically Sound. Immigration was perhaps the most iconic policy area of President Trump's administration, for better or worse. We're building the wall. Mexico's paying for the wall, by the way. Now, President Biden is aiming to not only undo his predecessor's legacy, but also reform an immigration system that for so many people is fundamentally broken. So this week, as part of our look at the biggest policy challenges and goals of President Biden's first 100 days, we're going to take a look at immigration. Reforming America's immigration system has been a major issue for decades. But every time the political parties near a compromise, the deal falls apart. There's the well-being of immigrants to consider, and there's also massive implications for the economy, education, healthcare, almost all aspects of American life. It is about who we are as a nation. Who do we accept in? Who do we help to become part of us and become part of our future? And our history has been made from immigrants since its founding. That's Teresa Cardinal-Brown, the Director of Immigration and Cross-Border Policy at the Bipartisan Policy Center. Today, she's going to join us to take a closer look at President Biden's immigration policy and the hurdles it faces both practically and politically. So it's time to tune out the noise and tune in to what's politically sound. The last time our immigration system was really updated in any way, substantively, in terms of numbers of who could come in or how they could come in was 1990. Teresa's been working in immigration law and policy for over 20 years, including posts in the Department of Homeland Security during the George W. Bush and Barack Obama administrations. We're operating right now with an immigration system that is literally, in some cases, a decade and up to a half a century old. So the fact that we're operating with a system that has 
been around so long means that fundamentally, it doesn't necessarily reflect what we want it to do for us today. The fact that the system is fundamentally broken and needs to be updated really resonated with the undocumented people we spoke with, who told us how despite wanting legal status, they've had to work around a system that they believe failed them. They did everything they could to retain their status so we would be able to stay here without the fear of deportation or family separation. And after, you know, 20 years of trying, they kept coming up short. That's Glo Choi again. He and his parents tried everything they could to remain in the U.S. legally under his father's student visa. For my 21st birthday, which is such a huge milestone for so many people, right, my status expired because I could no longer become a dependent on my parents' visa. So when I was 21, I became undocumented. For others, like Marilu, the idea that there even was a distinction between legal and illegal entrance was a surprise. I didn't know I was undocumented. I thought we're going to be fine. I'm going to go to school. My life is going to be so good in there. When I, I got here, we didn't have a place to live. I lived with my dad for one year, and then he got deported. So I had to drop off school. My dad brought me here when I was 13 years old. I'm 29 right now, so I've been living most of my life in this country. I know this country more than my original country. Teresa says this is exactly what makes immigration reform so hard. We currently have somewhere around 10 and a half to maybe 11 million people who are unauthorized to be in the United States but living here. And most importantly, most of them have been living here for a long time. 60% of them have been living here 10 years or more. So these are no longer people that we could say are not part and parcel of who we are as the United States because they've established themselves here. Like it or not, inside the law or not, they're here and they're part of our communities. And that issue is what has been driving a lot of the political debate around immigration for the last 20 to 25 years. What is the current situation of immigration in the United States that President Biden inherited from President Trump, the state of immigration policy and the status of what things are currently like at the border in this country? I think where we stand today is the Trump administration prioritized enforcement. They wanted undocumented people in the United States, frankly, to leave or be deported. And they wanted to close off the border as much as possible to people who were trying to come in. And when I say close off the border, I don't just mean to people who are trying to come in illegally. The Trump administration also passed executive orders and bans that kept people who would have come legally from coming in. So, for example, in the last fiscal year, we saw the lowest number of immigrant visas issued that we had seen in more than 30 years. What about the contrast on the border itself in terms of the Trump, as you said, deportation approach versus what is the Biden view and approach to dealing with the border itself? So what we've seen so far is, in general, the Biden administration wants to provide a mechanism for people who get to the border to be processed humanely. So if they want to apply for asylum, they have a chance to do so. But they also want it to be orderly. So, for example, they have kind of gone slow in rolling back some of the things that the Trump administration has done at the border because they are wanting to make sure that they have 
new processes in place that can manage people before they undo what Trump did, which basically kept people out. And I am wondering about the pandemic's impact on immigration. Have we seen an impact on whether legal or illegal border crossings into the United States? The short answer is yes. That is one thing that the Biden administration has kept so far from the Trump administration. President Trump issued some orders that closed the borders to most what they called non-essential travel from around the world and issued some executive orders that, as I mentioned, would deny people who even had legal visas to come to the United States to immigrate or to work the ability to do so. So we have essentially closed down an awful lot of our legal immigration system in part in the name of protecting against COVID. But the Trump administration also said that they wanted to keep people out because of the economic impacts of the virus in the United States and that immigrants would come and compete with U.S. workers. Those bans remain in place. And the Biden administration has not indicated yet when or if they will rescind them. So right now, those borders still remain mostly closed. Now, we're recording this podcast at about the four-week mark of the Biden administration. And I'm wondering what in the first four weeks alone have you seen where you've seen real action on immigration to this point? And what has he accomplished, if anything, yet? He signed about 10 different executive orders dealing with immigration. For example, he said to the Secretary of Homeland Security, continue the DACA program, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program, which allows undocumented youth who arrived as children to be protected from deportation and have work authorization. That program was to be rescinded under the Trump administration. So, That had an immediate impact in that people who would have been eligible for DACA but weren't allowed to apply during the Trump administration can now apply and get protection. The other one is the rescinding of the so-called Muslim ban. With just a few quick strokes of the pen, President Donald Trump has banned more than 218 million people from entering the United States. And also part of this, the Trump administration is implementing what they're calling extreme vetting measures. Seven countries singled out. They're Muslim-majority countries. Hard to call it anything else but a religious test. Biden's first executive order was to rescind that travel ban and allow people who had been blocked by it the chance to apply to come into the United States. Um, So those are two that had, I think, a pretty immediate impact in that we're seeing new DACA applicants right now and people who had been blocked by that ban are able to apply to come in. But the majority of the other things won't have immediate impact until we see what the agencies who are charged with doing something under those executive orders do with it. But there are serious issues with governing by executive order, as the Biden administration has already realized. A federal judge in Texas has halted an administration freeze on deportations, a key Biden promise he told CNN almost exactly one year ago in February of 2020. Nobody is going to be deported in my first 100 days. The only rationale for deportation will be whether or not, whether or not you've committed a felony while in the country. Another policy of President Trump's that Biden was able to have an immediate impact on was something called Remain in Mexico. Essentially, it meant that people applying for asylum at the southern border had to stay on the Mexican side while waiting to hear if they could come to the U.S. During their time in Mexico, the immigrants are often subjected to all sorts of terrible conditions. 
Biden said that we're not going to put any new people into that program. And just this past week, they announced that they would create a process to slowly allow those who are waiting in Mexico to come into the United States and remain in the U.S. while their cases were processed. But they're doing it slowly, partially because of COVID, partially to make sure that they don't essentially overrun the ports of entry. But many immigration advocates want to see this program closed down as soon as possible. When we come back, we'll talk about the major step Biden took towards immigration reform just this week. Stay with us. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your sleep number setting. Sleep number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All sleep number smart beds feature cooling, pressure relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. JD Power ranks sleep number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now save 50% on sleep number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back. This week, Biden and congressional Democrats released their comprehensive immigration reform bill. The legislation, called the U.S. Citizenship Act of 2021, combined with some other existing legislation, is a sweeping approach to immigration reform, and the biggest component is a path to citizenship for undocumented immigrants. But as Teresa lays out, this is not a new endeavor. It's very similar to legislative proposals that have been introduced before, and I think it's worth telling your listeners that it's not like Congress hasn't tried to pass immigration law in the last 30 years. They have tried several times, but just failed. They've failed to come to agreement. They've failed to have bills that pass both the House and the Senate and could be signed into law. That bill had a similar pathway to citizenship for most of the undocumented who qualified, but it was a fairly long pathway. It would have taken 10 years before somebody could become a citizen. What the Biden proposal does that's somewhat different is it shortens that pathway and says that you can go from undocumented to this provisionary status of about five years and then a green card. And that after that, you might be able to apply for citizenship with another three-year time. So that's a total of eight years. So it's a little bit shorter time frame during which people can apply for citizenship. But for some undocumented people, like Glow and his family, eight years still feels too long. I think my parents could be dead in eight years. I'll be very frank. You know, legislators, they, they add these numbers without recognizing that every single day is a ticking clock for somebody. But for others, President Biden's election and his immigration proposals have brought a lot of hope to immigrant communities. We actually are starting to see some changes. And this is a relief for my family and me. I just want to be able to have some of the privileges that some people just Take for granted, you know, feeling that I finally have a right like any other citizen in this country. Uh, I will be able to go to college. I want to become a nurse. So that's my longtime dream. I will have a job that actually will be paid fairly. 
So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that this is the year when, when they're going to legalize another millions. I asked Teresa whether there is hope for people like Morales, Glow, and Marilu that this Biden immigration push will succeed, where we've only seen failure in the past 30 years. The last attempt at comprehensive immigration reform, some may remember, was in 2013. There was a bipartisan bill, so-called Gang of Eight. Republican and Democrat senators came together and put together a comprehensive immigration bill that passed the Senate with more than 60 votes. I think it's more challenging now in part because there seems to be less bipartisanship around the issue in Congress. And I say that purposefully. Congress is much more divided around the issues of immigration than it has been in the past, but it's also more divided than the public at large. It turns out that the majority of Americans, Republicans and Democrats, are pretty much fine with giving people a pathway to legal status and even citizenship with the right considerations. Pay your taxes, pass a criminal background check, maybe learn English, right? They're fine with that. They don't have a problem with that. And they're particularly supportive of legalizing the dreamers. So for those populations, you would think that that shouldn't be a tough prospect. But in Congress, I think that we have seen over time Democrats have really coalesced around a pro-immigrant philosophy and a real desire for legalization and openness to immigration. And Republicans, particularly under the Trump administration, have coalesced around a policy of strict enforcement and restriction on legal and illegal immigration. So the parties are somewhat further apart. That doesn't mean that a deal can't be had. The difficulty is in how do you give each side something of what they want And is that enough to gain their support for the whole package? I'll just put a finer point on that for our listeners. You mentioned the gang of eight that worked on the immigration bill in 2013. Uh, Two of the Republican members of the gang of eight at that time were Lindsey Graham and Marco Rubio. As to the 11 million, they'll have a pathway to citizenship, but it will be earned, it will be long, and it will be hard, and I think it is fair. Here in America... Generations of unfulfilled dreams will finally come to pass. And that's why I support this reform. Not just because I believe in immigrants, but because I believe in America even more. Now think of everything you understand about Lindsey Graham and Marco Rubio today. They both became staunch Trump allies throughout Trump's administration. The idea that a Marco Rubio or a Lindsey Graham, some eight years later, are anywhere near where they were in 2013 seems pretty far-fetched, just as an example of the kind of movement you're talking about. Yeah, but I would point out Lindsey Graham recently, last week, reintroduced the DREAM Act with Senator Durbin. At least nominally, Lindsey Graham is still open to the idea of bipartisan immigration reform. What he has said, and I think where a lot of Republicans are, though, is that they can accept legalization, but not on its own, because they want to ensure that we don't have a lot more undocumented immigrants in the future, which means they want to see enforcement. They want to see border control. And so at the end of the day, like everything else, in order to pass Congress, you have to add up the votes. And where we are right now is that what's required to keep, you know, the progressive left of the party in support of an immigration bill limits how much you can give, if you will, to get a few Republicans on side. And President Biden has expressed a willingness to break up his immigration proposals to try and get some of the areas of compromise done first. You want a pathway to citizenship for the roughly 11 million undocumented immigrants. Would you sign any immigration bill if it did not include that? Yeah, there's a whole range of 
things that relate to immigration. There's things that I would deal by itself, but not at the expense of saying I'm never going to do the other. That could include another key component of the bill, Biden's efforts to address the root causes of migration. I asked Teresa how the president's plan addresses that crucial component of immigration policy. A lot of that is about foreign aid and investment. There was an effort under the Obama administration to create something called the Alliance for Prosperity in Central America, which would help generate economic growth, investment, jobs, also deal with some of the rule of law issues and corruption issues that exist down there. President Trump froze a lot of that aid. Biden wants to go back to that investment and cooperative migration management approach. But the one thing I would say about this emphasis on root causes, it is an absolutely necessary thing, but it is a long-term prospect. We are not going to see migration effects from that kind of investment in the region, possibly for decades. So it's important that we have to deal with the root causes. And I applaud the Biden administration for focusing on that. But we have to recognize that that's not really going to impact what's happening at the border today. So my final question for you is, what do you see as the most lasting impact that President Biden can have towards building a truly equitable, sustainable immigration system for the United States well into the future? I think if... President Biden wants to have a legacy of a sustainable and equitable immigration system. He has to figure out how to get Congress to pass legislation. And that may mean not getting everything that he or immigration advocates really want. It may be cutting some hard deals. But if he can even move it forward, if he is able to get Congress to pass even a portion of what he has proposed, that would be significant. That would be very significant. And I think that's If I were advising the administration, I would say try to put your energy there. Yes, there are things that you could and probably should do by executive order to reduce immediate harm, but lasting change, really cementing change into the future, you have to get Congress to do it. Teresa Cardinal-Brown of the Bipartisan Policy Center, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. That's it for this week's episode of Politically Sound. Thanks for listening. If you could please take a few minutes and give us a rating and a review, we'd appreciate it. And if you're listening for the first time, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you get our latest episode each week delivered right to you. Politically Sound is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by Will Cadigan and Rachel Cohn. Haley Thomas is our senior producer. Raj Makija is the senior production manager, and Francisco Monroy is our engineer. David Toledo is the team's production assistant. The executive producer of CNN Audio is Megan Marcus. We'll see you all next week. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.